Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tapsapornchai. Brother, we got an interesting topic that we're going to start today. And it's not one that I hear talked about too much anymore these days. Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you hear much about this on a regular basis? Well, you, you know, I, I hear it, but maybe in a different kind of way. I, I think this is going to be controversial for some folks because um, obviously when we talk about the old covenant and the new covenant, we're living in new covenant times. And the law, as we understand it, has been fulfilled. But does that mean we do away with it? So I think, um, you know, you had the idea and I agree to it. I think it's a good idea to go back and to, to really think through the Ten Commandments, because I think those commandments, well, first of all, we know that nine of them are actually repeated in the New Covenant in, in the New Testament time. So, so they're, not, uh, they're not obsolete. Uh, so th- this is why we go back and we can still learn quite a bit from those commandments, even though we know that the, uh, that, that the law as, as given has been fulfilled in Christ, but it doesn't mean that we forsake um, the the character and the righteousness of God that we see expressed through it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, this will be so obviously where this podcast is going to be on the Ten Commandments. Now, this is going to be the longest series we've done on this podcast. Uh, if we, it, there's no telling if they're going to be all in in order necessarily. We might have to interject a few things, but this will be an eleven part series if it works out the the way I'm planning on it to. We'll just see. Um, and I know instantly some people are like, how, how on earth are you going to do a whole podcast on some of these? Uh, because <laughs> I'm, I don't go around murdering people. We don't really need a whole podcast yeah. on that. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, you, you can, there are entire books written on this, especially um, if you go into some of the Puritans. You can find some really in-depth uh, work on uh, on, on the Ten Commandments. But so we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Um, it's something that used to be prevalent, prevalently seen in our society, right, in the courthouse and on public, uh, you know, federal land and things like that. Of course, uh, every schoolhouse at one stage had posters of the Ten Commandments, and that's pretty much all gone, right? We don't see it anymore. People don't like to look at it anymore. Um, it's been ordered to be removed from most public places. Um, why do you think that is? Why is it that people do not want to look at the Ten Commandments? Well, quite honestly, I think people love their sin. Um, so uh, what I've seen, and at least in terms of church culture, and uh, I see this even at the church that I'm at right now, is um, there's, uh, th- there's a lot of um, legalism in the past. And I understand that people will take, uh, take laws and commandments and make them legalistic as if your salvation depends upon your obedience to those things. Yeah. But I, I think um, we're living in an age where people love their liberty. Um, they love stressing that they're free in Christ uh, and, and that that gives them the freedom to do the things that they want to do and things that, you know, may not feel as comfortable if they're confronted with the Ten Commandments. So I think for some people, it's this overcorrection against legalism that causes people to completely throw out the commands that we see in the Old Testament. 
And uh, for other people, I think we're just living in a day and age where people are living according to their feelings and their emotions. And to really consider um, the ethics and the morality of what they do would be to um, would be to confront them in a way that they really don't want to be confronted. They don't really want to think about those kinds of things. I was just thinking how, and I mentioned this uh, from the pulpit recently. Uh, Ray Comfort, and I didn't know this, but Ray Comfort actually came from um, a series of Hillsong churches. And he had shared that uh, before he left, you know, he was a part of the evangelism team, I guess, and uh, they did a study and found out that 90% of the people that they thought had converted to Christ ended up walking away from the faith. Um, Well, he realized something was wrong then, and basically the conclusion that he came to later on was that the gospel that they were proclaiming was essentially a truncated gospel. Mm. Um, It it did not, it, it especially did not reveal um, to the unbeliever just what a sinner they are. And, uh, and that's, that's, if you follow his ministry now, he uses the Ten Commandments to, to great effect to help, uh, help bring that forth. But yeah, I think those are the two primary reasons I would think of. One is an overcorrection to, um, to, to commandment kind of legalism to, to law, and, and the other is just um, uh, wanting to uh, live their life however they want uh, without any regard to the righteousness of God. Yeah, I, and I think you're right. I, I would agree with those. It, it's very interesting to me. Um, I, I mean, overcorrection happens all the time. You see it all throughout church history, right? I mean, typically in 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 the grand scheme, sort of fifty thousand feet view above, you see the church always swings towards one end or the other, right? Um, and rarely does it stay in in the middle too long. And so we yeah. either tend to swing towards legalism, legalistic tendencies, or towards licentious, uh, you know, just kind of loose living, um, free grace type of, of stuff. And so, I, I would argue that the church scene today in the West is largely on the licentious, free grace, do yeah. whatever you want, God loves you anyway side. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but we can't, we certainly can't let um, e- either one of those positions keep us from the truth of scripture, right? Um, and, and I think that's always Satan's scheme, right? Yeah. Uh, um, in, in, if, if, you're, if the culture is shifting, if, if God is raising up men uh, in a licentious culture to say, no, look, God cares about how we live, uh, right? Ephesians 4, walk worthy of the calling uh, in the manner in which you were called. Um, it, you know, as God raises up men to do that, um, well, what Satan can't do is take souls that belong to God, but what he certainly can do is uh, work in such a way where you go far beyond that, and it's, it truly becomes legalistic right. and vice versa, right? Um, and, and I think a lot of people, one, cry legalism, and they don't really know what that means, right? Um, if, if I were to define legalism um, in, in the most simplistic of terms, I would just simply say legalism is um pursuing something in such a way that you believe that thing is earning your favor with God right so if it's yeah. morals if it's uh disciplines if it's that in my mind is legalism um what, what, how how would you define it in very simple terms yeah I, um there's a couple of ways that I've said it I think similar to what you said um one it's an overarching emphasis upon the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law right um, and the Sabbath day is one of those um, examples. And uh, Jesus ends up claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath and exposing how they have abused the Sabbath um, really to hurt man rather than to help man. Um, the other way of looking at it is it's um, very simply it's going above and beyond what Scripture calls for. 
Um, it, it could be adding requirements to salvation, um, or it, it could be um, adding requirements to sanctification. But it's it's essentially going above and beyond what the scriptures call for, or in some cases, just an overarching and uncompromising um, hold to the letter of uh, of the law, rather than understanding the spirit of the law, the reason why God gives those those commandments. Yeah, and and I think the the problem is a lot of folks uh, leave out the motivation. Yeah. Um, behind yes. it. It's the motivation that actually makes something legalistic or not. Yes. R- right. I, I can, I can um, read my Bible every day, insist on that, and it be a firm discipline in my life. And it, that can either be legalistic or it can be righteous. It right. can be legalistic if somehow I think by doing that, I'm earning or maintaining my good standing with Christ. That makes it legalistic. However, if I'm doing that because uh, if I'm doing it out of a love for Christ and the desire to one, be obedient, but two, uh, to be conformed in a greater way into his image, then it's actually a righteous thing. Right. Um, And and so I think people often just cry legalism in the culture we're in when it looks like discipline, right, of any form uh, with no real thought to the motivation that goes behind it. And that's important. It's especially important when we talk about the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, Because you can either adhere to the Ten Commandments out of uh, a legalistic, in a legalistic way, or you can adhere to the Ten Commandments because you love Christ and you want to obey. Um, And as we go through uh, the Ten Commandments, which I want to read here from Exodus in just a moment, but, you know, it's interesting just as a reminder up front, the litmus test that Jesus himself gives to whether or not you love him is whether or not you're obedient to him. Yeah. Do you right? obey his commandments? Right. You love me if you obey my commandments. Yeah. And certainly none of us would accuse Jesus of being legalistic. Right. Right. And so we have to understand that there's something more to just being obedient that makes something either righteous or legalistic. And, and that's our heart motivation, which is true in much of the Christian walk, right? Well, let me read this for us, brother. And then uh, maybe what, what we should do is talk about and answer the question, why should I even care about uh, this law that's in the Old Testament? What does it matter for me today? We don't live under the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. It's one of the first questions that generally come up, right? Yeah. Um, so we get the Ten Commandments. We're in Exodus 20. Let me just read that um, for folks. It's, uh, yeah, Exodus 20 from verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your mother and father 
that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Well, there you go. The Ten Commandments. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how at the end there, after the last commandment, we are told exactly how the people responded to it. And it was because of the voice of God. And this, this, I would argue, is the first time they heard God speak like this. So these commandments come with a certain gravitas towards the people. Um, in fact, it shakes them to such levels of fear that they didn't want God to speak to them and said to Moses, you know, you speak to us, do not let God speak to us lest we die. And then that ended up <clears throat> getting used later to prophesy of a greater prophet who would uh, come after Moses, who will be able to speak to them. And that would be obviously the, Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's interesting because here we really kind of see the institution of the office of prophets going forward, right? Yeah. Um, and and with that, we see the the weight uh, of of the prophet. <clears throat> this is why the prophet does, in fact, say, "Thus says the Lord." This was how it always was, right? Um, but you're absolutely right, and I and I read that last part uh, just hoping you would bring that uh, to the forefront. The people trembled. Yeah. You know, um, you, you know, by the way, this is the only thing that we have from God ever where God himself wrote these commandments. Mm. Just an interesting fact. Um, it, it, there's nothing else that we have. God worked through men uh, under the inspiration of the Holy yeah. Spirit. And, and we have scripture. But this is different. Right. Yeah. And not only did he do it once, he actually did it twice. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so ju just a, an interesting thing there, but so let's ask the question. So someone's listening, maybe they're in your church, Eki, or, you know, they see you somewhere and they ask, well, I, I understand, you know, that, uh, historically we've seen the 10 commandments as being a good thing, but I don't live under the law. I live, I live under grace. I, yeah. we live under the new Testament. Why do I even need to bother with the old Testament law? Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I think it's it's actually a good question because we do live under grace. Uh, we do not live under law. Those are true statements. Absolutely. We want to be able to affirm that. But I would also want to clarify that and help them to understand that you don't live under the penalty of the law. If you put your faith into the Lord Jesus Christ, that means he went to the cross to pay the penalty for all the sins that you've committed past, present and future. Um, but that doesn't mean that we ignore the righteousness of God that's actually expressed through the law. And in fact, let me read for you uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Now, this is the start of what we know to be the justification of God. Uh, Paul is making a, a huge argument for why we need God's justification and how that comes about through Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, he says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. So he has gone through over the first three chapters expressing the righteousness of God through the law and how that righteousness leaves everyone condemned. Um, and, but now he says a righteousness of God has been manifested another way, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, why am I reading that? Because throughout human history, 
we've seen the righteousness of God revealed to us in two ways. First, it's through the law, the, the Mosaic law that we know uh, as the Ten Commandments, but of course, it's a lot more than that. Where there, There's many commandments. There's, I believe, over 600 commandments given through the Torah. But, uh, but we see the Ten Commandments as kind of being representative of all those commandments. So we, we understand that the righteousness of God was revealed through those commandments, through that law. And then secondly, the righteousness of God was revealed through a person, through his son, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus Christ, having lived a perfectly righteous life, went to the cross. He died for our sins and gave us his righteousness. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became sin for us, and we ended up taking on his righteousness. Um, that's the double imputation that we often refer to. So why am I saying all this? Because if we care about the righteousness of God, um, obviously, we have to care about the righteousness of God. That's the whole reason why Jesus Christ came, and he indeed is righteous. But if we also understand that the law itself represented the righteousness of God, why would we toss it out? You know, it, now, what I'm, hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you need to live under the law the way the Old Testament Israelites lived under the law. You are freed from its penalty. That's, that's the wonderful blessing of the work of Christ. There is no penalty of law. Previously, there was. The penalty of the law is death. Jesus Christ paid that. So you are living under grace in the sense that there is no more penalty from the law. But if the law represents the perfect righteousness of God, I would submit to you, we have a lot to learn by studying that righteousness and seeking to emulate that righteousness to the best that we can in a way that's not legalistic, but is driven by a heart's desire to glorify him. Yeah. And I think you made a very important point there. When What do we mean when we say we live under the law, we don't live under the law, right? I, I think a lot of people, they just hear anything that sounds like law or might be law uh, or is law, and they say, oh, well, I don't live under the law. But that's not theologically, doctrinally what we mean when we say living right. under the law. What we mean is we no longer live under the penalty of the law. Right. It doesn't mean that we no longer have the responsibility of obedience to parts of the law. And, and there are parts of the law which we are still bound to, and we'll talk about that, right? Um, yeah. But that's the difference. When, when we say absolutely 100% we live under grace and not under the law, what we mean is we no longer live under the penalty of the law. It doesn't mean we've been released from everything um, that the law speaks to, because that would mean utter chaos and lawlessness, Right. And certainly, if we understand we serve a holy God, then we have to understand that God never uh, advocates for lawlessness in his people. Right. And, and so that, that's a very important point. Uh, and I know a lot of well meaning folks have maybe they've not really contemplated what we mean by that phrase, but we do kind of hear it a lot. And it just means, oh, well, if it was in the Old Testament, basically, I don't have to adhere to it. But that's not what we mean when we use that phrase. So let's, what was that reference that you just read in Romans? Uh, Romans chapter three, verses 21 to 23. Yeah, it, it's a great reference. And if you go a few chapters beyond that to chapter seven, yep. listen to what Paul says here. And and I want to kind of just emphasize this because this is Paul's take in the New Testament um, yeah. of the law. And from verse seven, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, yeah. I would not come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, you yeah. shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. 
And this commandment, which was the res- which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I mean, this is Paul's view of the law. It's holy, it's righteous, and it's good. If it weren't for the law, we wouldn't know sin, right? Um, and, and so this is a New Testament. So, and Paul speaks to this and references this multiple times, right? You know, and, and even, even if we think about Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus Christ, we know, was the perfect embodiment of the righteousness of God, right? So, I mean, he walked perfectly. He pleased God at every point. There was never a point where he was unpleasing to God. So he walked perfectly. He was the perfect representation of the righteousness of God. And what did he call call us to be uh, following his ascension up in heaven? He calls us to be his disciples. He calls us to make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student, one who learns from his master, from his instructor, and follows after him. We are called to be more like Christ. In fact, Romans 8, 28, 29 um, 828 is the all things come together for good. Verse 29 says we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So if we are seeking to be more like Christ, and we see that repeated over and over again throughout the New Testament, uh, we can provide many examples. Uh, but if we are seeking to become more like Christ, well, that means we are seeking to be more righteous as he was righteous and continues to be righteous according to the law that we see. Yeah. Well, in, and in Matthew chapter five, uh, it's either verse 16 or 17, somewhere around there. Um, Jesus even says himself, I didn't come to abolish the law, right? but I but rather to came to fulfill it. it. Yep. Right. And so, I mean, if you really consider that passage, um, he's, he's emphasizing the necessity and importance and holiness and perfection of the law because he doesn't come to abolish it as though it were something that was bad. No, he comes to fulfill it because that is what is absolutely holy and good. And that's what we have to fulfill. And the only way we could do that is in Christ. And so he fulfills it for us. Um, And so again, in one sense, it's elevating the holiness of the law, right. the, the way he speaks to it. And, and so, okay. And so now the question comes, we're kind of talking about this. Um, well, if you're saying that the law is good and there's some that I still live under, um, but I understand it's not the penalty we're talking about. How do I know what's what? Because there are a lot of laws in the Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I trim my beard, you know, mm-hmm. um, for instance, we wear clothing with, you know, mixed fabrics. Um, a lot of us eat seafood, you know. So, how do I know when I'm looking at the Old Testament, what law do I follow? What law do I not follow? How do you answer that question? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a real good question. And I would say we start with what the New Testament tells us. <clears throat> and as an example, when we look at the Ten Commandments, um, nine of them are actually repeated in the New Testament. So, if you just look at the commandments that we see given us to the New Testament, I think we have very clear guidance on what we are to follow, uh, for sure. And then, really, the, then the remaining question is, okay, well, what about other things that are not mentioned in the New Testament? You know, that's where um, you're going to have to be a little more discerning. you got to think through what um, the principles that we learn from the New Testament are. Um, think about the reasons why they are there in the Old Testament. Think about the difference between us and Israel. We are not Israel, right? So, we're, we're yeah. in a different uh, kind of context. And, and you have to kind of put all those together and, and weigh those out. But I think if you start with what the New Testament tells us, um, you can't go wrong there, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the guidance. 
not only from Jesus Christ through the Gospels, but also how the disciples and apostles applied it to the churches through the many epistles written to churches. I think there is much there that will instruct us. And in fact, I think if people spent more time paying attention to what those letters said, they'd be far better off um, today rather than continually trying to fight for their own freedom in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is a good question. Now, it's also a question that also kind of gets put in our face uh, as in opposition, right? Well, you trim your beard, you eat shellfish, um, it, you know, so why do you do this and not do that? Well, the, the answer is because we understand what the Bible says, just as yeah. you say. The New Testament um, repeats in a prescriptive way nine of the Ten Commandments. By the way, we won't get into it, but what Ten Commandment isn't repeated in the New Testament? We'll just it's, hang it out uh, there. It's the Sabbath. Yeah, it's Sabbath. Yeah, so if you want to know why, you'll have to listen to the seventh episode. And anyway, I'll have a lot to say on that when we get there. Yep. <laughs> we will. Yeah, that'll be a full one. Um, but so just in the New Testament, as you, as you said, in prescriptive form, we actually have nine of the New Testament of, of the commands. Now, Jesus himself, in one instance, actually gives an entire summary of the Decalogue. Now, Decalogue just meaning 10, right? Um, When, in in fact, when he makes the statement, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, that passage, and love your neighbor as yourselves, that is actually a summary of the Decalogue, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That's a summary of the first four commandments, right? Um, You shall have no other gods before me, not make any graven image, not take the Lord your God, not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Love the Lord your God. That's the that's just a summary of the first tablet of the law. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Actually, a total summary of the second, the the next six. Right. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, covenant, uh, covet. And so, in that one statement, Jesus actually says. Obey the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah, essentially. I mean, when you think about it, uh, you think about what those commands, and Paul would end up being the one to clarify later that all that can be summarized with those commands, or Jesus may have said that as well, but you're, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, if the law is summarized with those two commandments, then we don't want to disregard the law from which those two commandments actually summarize, right? So, uh, we, can't, we, we can't throw this all out and then uh, pretend, and, and this is where we... Um, there's a, there, there are many people such as Andy Stanley who have said unhitched from the Old Testament or people that have tried to downplay the Old Testament. Or when you go into the Old Testament and start teaching from it, they'll, they'll accuse you of bringing forth the law rather than allowing Christians to live in freedom. Um, but yeah, if you listen carefully to what Jesus Christ says, um, and, and as you mentioned, it's John 14, 15, where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And even in the Great Commission, he part of making disciples of all the nations is teaching them to observe or to keep all that I have commanded you. So commandments are still important going forward. Uh, those who say that any kind of emphasis upon commandments is an emphasis upon law, well, you're going to have a problem with the actual New Testament writers as well, because those those books are filled with commandments. They are meant to give us guidance on how we are to walk, how we are to glorify God. And so they are necessary and we have to recognize them for what they are, but they're not disconnected from the Old Testament. You know, so especially when we think about, and then we'll talk about this, I'm sure soon, 
um, when we think about the nature of the d- different commandments in the Old Testament, some of them are moral, some of them seem to be more civil, some of them seems to be more ceremonial, you know, the um, the, the feast and the festivals and, and those kinds of things. Um, but then we see in the New Testament, for instance, Paul even says that one person observes one day and another person observes the other day, and he leaves it as more of an issue of conscience than something that needs to be followed to the letter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we... We want to be sure that we take the whole counsel of God and understand what it all says and don't make these unhelpful blanket statements about just throwing everything out from the past and only paying attention to what the New Testament says. And in some cases, people will even be more narrow, like red letter Christians will say, well, let's just look at the red letters of Jesus Christ from the Gospels. Yeah, well, I, in, in all honesty, the only thing you do if you unhitch from the Old Testament is you unhitch from Christianity. Because there is no Christianity without the Old Testament. Um, and, and so that's a silly statement for a, a pastor with such a large platform to make. Um, I, I think the second big issue by way of implication is if you uh, attack the law or anyone who would say you need to be obedient to things in the New Testament, you're actually accusing Christ of being a legalist. Yeah. You're accusing Christ of sinning. Um, would be the implication because it was Christ who said, you love me if you obey my commandments. Um, And so we understand that that is a heart position, right? Not a earning grace, earning salvation, but nonetheless, the emphasis is on the fruit of obedience. And so we've got to be careful with those kinds of things. So if anyone ever says something like, you know, we don't need the Old Testament, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament, uh, that's not a church, a pastor, you g- run, you know, just, just run and go find somewhere else. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be because by the way, uh, the new Testament was written by holy and solely by people who were standing on the old Testament. <laughs> right. Right. I, I mean, every single one of them, uh, they all reference parts of the old Testament. And so we definitely don't do that. Now you made reference to moral uh, ceremonial law, moral law. So there's something that we would refer to as the three-part division of the law. And I think this could be helpful for people. Um, It's obviously, it's us as men categorizing what we see in scripture and who it applies to and when it was applicable. Um, And so you won't find this terminology in scripture, much like you don't find the terminology of Trinity, right? But when you look at the Bible, what you find is in the Old Testament that there are laws that God gave to Israel as a nation. These are civil laws, right? We are not the nation of Israel. We do not live in Israel. Uh, These laws aren't applicable to us, much like, although some well-known folks from Alaska have said that they can see Russia from their backyard. Um, Totally (laughs) untrue. But anyway, um, though we be very close to Russia and formally owned by Russia, I do not obey Russia's laws. Why? Because I'm an American and I live in America and I obey America's civil laws. So in that way, we would look at these civil laws and say, well, obviously we're not bound to them. Okay. So that's one distinction. You want to add anything or what what are some of these, by the way, that, that might fall in that category that you could think of? Uh, from the Ten Commandments, I, I can't think of anything specific, but if you look at the rest of the Torah, the, the rest of, of the law, you know, there, um, there, there are laws about how you handle cases and, uh, you know, how yep. you, um, you know, how God is your ruler and all that kind of stuff, you know, but we know that you have to take that in context because even in the Old Testament, 
when the Israelites were taken into exile um, to, uh, to, to serve under Babylon, um, God was still their king. God never stops being the king of Israel. But there is an understanding now that you need to submit to that, even that Gentile authority, yeah. right? Which is, um, which is something that uh, in, in a the theocratic uh, government, uh, which would be the rest of Old Testament when they're not in, uh, under exile, but they are um, an independent nation, they're being, um, they're being led by the laws and their king and all that kinds of stuff. You know, then then you understand that no, you are not to bow down to any other um, Gentile authorities. You're not to submit to them, but you're to submit to God and God alone. So even even just that little example, and uh, you can take a look at uh, Jeremiah 29 when Jeremiah talks about how you know that the cities that you go into, you know, uh, do what is good for those cities and and whatnot. And you look at the examples of of Daniel as well as um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, while they did not compromise on their loyalty to God, they did submit in various ways to the yeah. to the the Gentile authorities. So we we even see in the context when we look at some of those commandments that okay, this is for a theocratic nation that's more of a, a civil kind of issue. And then for the ceremonial stuff, for instance, we know that there are no more sacrifices. All right, that that's gone. That 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 was all fulfilled um, in Christ. Um, we we understand uh, the uh, that the food uh, the, the dietary restrictions. Acts chapter ten. Just yesterday, I was out uh, with some folks at my church. We had some hot dogs wrapped in bacon, and I called it an Acts ten gathering because we were enjoying some some good pork there. Um, so yeah, we we see those aspects of the law that that no longer uh, apply. So I think you can take a look at those and, and start to draw patterns um, because even even in its original context. It's not necessarily a moral issue, but it's what God says, look, if you're my people, this is how you show yourself to be holy. The moral ones are, are the ones that I think you see all over the world just written on the hearts of people's conscience, right? Do not steal, do, do not murder, do not uh, take people's property. Just about everywhere you go all over the world, you're going to see some sort of, um, some sort of laws or enforcement um, of those things. So th those are moral laws, and, and we see that uh, throughout Scripture, but we certainly see that right there in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a good, uh, a really good uh, just kind of summary of how we view the law. And so when we talk about the law in the Old Testament, we're actually talking about various categories of the law. Uh, you've got the civil, the ceremonial and the moral. Well, uh, like we said, you know, the civil law, well, that ceased with the Jewish civil government, um, whether that be because they were in captivity or whatever the case may have been. Um, it, we just we just don't follow those, right? We're, we're not the nation of Israel living under that theocratic system. So, you know, there are laws on landmarks and property redemption and, you know, all of those sorts of things, uh, how they practice justice, while we can actually still look at those and glean wisdom in, in how God operates. And we can still understand something of what's holy and what's righteous in those judgments, um, we aren't bound to those things specifically. And so we might look at how God dealt out justice um, in, in civil government um, and glean some understanding on what's righteous and what's not, but um, we are not bound to those specific laws. Same thing with, this, with the ceremonial. I think we can look back at the ceremonial laws, which, by the way, expired uh, with the priestly work of Christ, right? I mean, once Christ is on the scene, um, th these go away, which is why we no longer worry about eating pork. Um, you know, Christ fulfilled all of the law. He fulfilled all of the uh, priestly requirements 
Um, all of that stuff is met and uh, culminates in the person and work of Christ. And so we no longer have that. I mean, you're talking about things like festivals, which you mentioned, um, all fall under ceremonial laws, the consecration of the priests, the priestly duties, the regulations of priests. We don't have those things anymore, right? Um, and so when we look at those things, we need to kind of categorize and ask the question, well, who were these laws for? Uh, were they applicable for a certain time period or a, a specific place? Um, and then we can kind of come up and understand these categories. And I think it helps us when we talk about the law. Uh, it, it's, it's really incredibly unhelpful, to be honest, I think, uh, when we just put everything under the law. Sometimes um, it takes a bit of time to explain, but when we just make the blanket statement, the law, we're lumping in a whole lot of things that don't necessarily connect with each other uh, in terms of how they affect us today. And then, of course, we get to the moral law, right? The moral law is the one part of the, the three parts that are applicable and expected for every people in every time in all circumstances. It never goes away. The moral law is merely a reflection of the holiness of God in, in our actions and in our life and in our deed. Um, and it, it's really a reflection of when God says in Leviticus, and then it's later um, uh, recounted in the New Testament when he says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God is holy. These things are a reflection of that. And so the Ten Commandments falls in this category, um, you know, stealing, lying, uh, you know, sexual sins, how we treat our neighbors, all of these things. And so that there's well, no and definitely our worship of God and definitely yeah. our worship of God and our worship yeah. of God. Um, and so you look at the Ten Commandments and this is why, you know, we see this uh, mentioned again in the New Testament. It's why Jesus summarizes, I think, or at least in part, um, because if you're going to be God's people, these are things that um, y- you should strive to out of love for Christ, out of a desire to be holy like he's holy. And so these are the ones in scripture where we want to say, yep, these are still applicable for us. You know what? They're applicable for us in America. They're applicable for me in Alaska, for you in California. They're also applicable for the church in Africa and Asia and all over. There's not a place in the world where uh, the moral commandments are not bound a- upon people, right? And, and that's sort of the difference. Yeah, and I think uh, there are churches out there, and I, I say in some cases cults, that misunderstand this. Um, so, uh, for instance, um, there are churches that will confuse the dietary laws of the Old Testament and say that they need to continue forward, right? Um, some people hold to the fact that they still can't eat pork. And, and yet, you see in Acts um, and the book of Mark both that there is no unclean foods now. Right. And, and you see Paul um, even acknowledging that um, you can eat whatever it is you want, um, but if you make restrictions, do it to prevent a, a brother from stumbling. Um, so when we have people that will make will want to hold to everything that the Old Testament says, you're in a you're in a predicament now because now you're in a position where you are um, you have no choice but to say that the Bible contradicts itself or that certain areas where the Bible says you're allowed to do something um, that you simply just disagree with it. So the only way to be able to harmonize all that together is to understand this in its context, understand it as a whole, but understand it in its context and, and, to, and to have a little bit more nuance rather than trying to paint everything with a black and white uh, brush or, or a brush ma- making broad brush strokes or everything or trying to make everything into a black and white matter. Yeah, um, 
Oh, I always cringe when I hear that word nuance, but it's true. Um, it, you know, I'm and really, it's just an understanding of of what's there. I, I yeah. mean, context, context, context. That's all this is. Understanding the law is all about understanding the context in which it was given. Um, and it, you know, it's very interesting as a brief aside. Um, especially on the food one, because this one comes up a lot when you just talk yeah. about living a holy life. Um, it, it's very interesting. It's explicitly spoken to in the New Testament, and it, it it's actually a bit hard. It, it's, a, it's a hard saying. You go to 1 Timothy 4, um, it, it's in verse 3, but listen to what Paul says to Timothy in talking about forbidding uh, what people eat. So he, he says, but the spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created wow. to be gratefully shared in a, by those who believe and know the truth. I, wow. And, and so not only do we see the positive side of, you know, there's nothing unclean, we actually see uh, a warning as well. I mean, this is something consistent with apostates. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who has, you know, believed that they shouldn't eat, you know, pork and things like that, that they're apostates, but I'm just saying that in the New Testament, it explicitly deals on the positive and the negative with the fact that, you know what, we're free to eat whatever. Now, if by way of your personal conviction, you don't want to eat bacon, that's fine. It's more for the rest of us. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> um, but, but you can't teach that you shouldn't or you can't uh, because right. that's just not true. And so, really, the point that we would make in terms of the, uh, the Ten Commandments is they're spoken to, if it's spoken to in the New Testament, then we can be sure it's something we're bound to. And if, it, if we've been released from it, specifically in the New Testament, then it's something we're released from. Uh, and, and we'll see that there's one of the Ten Commandments that that's true for, uh, and, and we'll explain why when we get there. And so, we just want to be faithful to the text and to what God's expectation for us is. And of course, um, we've always got to avoid the legalistic tendency of doing these things because somehow we feel like we're earning God's grace or keeping God's grace. No, we do these out of love for Christ. We do these out of a desire, a heartfelt, deep, loving desire to be holy like He's holy, and as and and then we do it as diligent as we can. You know, knowing that you know we can't. Even just the, never mind all the other parts of the law that don't apply to us, even just the Ten Commandments, we can't do these, right? Perfectly on our own all the time, or I would argue any, any of the time perfectly. And yet we strive for them because we love Christ, because we understand the sacrifice that he made for our freedom from sin. And, and so we pursue those things best we can for those reasons. Yeah, when I counsel people who are struggling with obedience to God, my counsel to them is not try hard to obey. My, my counsel to them is to cultivate a greater love for God. Um, the more you cultivate your love for God, and when I say cultivate your love for God, um, spending time in the Word, just marveling over the goodness of God, thinking about the, um, the incredible mercy poured out to you from the gospel, or recognizing what it is you've been forgiven of, um, studying the life of Christ, seeing what He went through. Um, what he had to endure. And in fact, uh, let me t 
touch back on something you said earlier. When we talk about, you know, that Matthew passage when Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? And, and Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ fulfilled it in two ways. Um, one, he was the perfect living example of one who was perfectly righteous. Okay, so that's, that's very easy to see. He never sinned. He did everything that was pleasing to God. Um, he was perfect in his behavior, his actions, his thought, his deeds, everything. But he also fulfilled the law in terms of, for us, he bore the penalty that we all deserve. So the law was fulfilled in two ways. One, he was the only one who per perfectly fulfilled the law in terms of his own behavior and actions. The only one who was ever perfectly righteous. Mm. But on the flip side, he fulfilled it on our behalf by taking on the penalty. And so when we think about that double imputation, the fact that we take on the righteousness of God and he took on our sins, that's wrapped right into Jesus Christ's fulfillment on both sides. The fact that we get his righteousness is not possible without his active obedience to the law. And the fact that he takes on our sin is really him stepping in on our behalf to take on the penalty of the law. So, yeah, when it, when it comes to obeying the law, it really comes back to if if someone is not obeying God, the commandments of God, when I say the law, I'm, I'm now talking about the law of Christ, the commandments that we see in the New Testament. If you're not um, obeying Jesus Christ and, and you're struggling with that, you know, obviously that that's something that, that you need to examine. But the, the solution is not simply try harder. Yeah. Um, the, the solution is to cultivate that love. And and once the more you love someone, the more you're going to want to do what is pleasing to that person. And, and that's what similar to what Paul said, let the love of Christ. Christ control you, right? So we, we want to be held captive by by the love of Christ, and uh, and, and make sure that uh, that that from that love that we're cultivating with God and an appreciation for what He does, we naturally drive out of that a desire to follow Him and to be pleasing to Him. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting dynamic in those who would desire uh, to be holy like Christ. You, you're gonna you're gonna want to live these things. You're gonna yeah. want to pursue these things, and you're rightfully going to be grieved when you when when you know that you fall short. That's an appropriate response, but it can't stop there. the 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 next appropriate response is at, in that moment of grieving that it takes us back to the cross because that's why we have the cross because we can't live up to these things perfectly. And so we 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 pursue righteousness and holiness. We pursue faithfulness to these things. We realize that we fall short. And, and that's the good work of the law that we realize that. And then instantly, it, it should cause us to uh, have gratitude for the, the work of Christ on the cross, because yeah. that's why we needed that. And, yeah. and so, we, we can't have either one of those sides without the other and, and be a mature believer. We can never just look to the cross and excuse uh, a, a lack of pursuing holiness, and we can never... Um, pursue holiness and and stop at uh the the sorrow that we can't measure up right we can't stop there either we've got to look to the cross and so the mature healthy believer will have all of these things and both of these things and so uh yeah yeah as we talk about the 10 commandments and and we'll stress the necessity and the importance of pursuing these things in our life um, but all of that needs to be with the understanding that Christ fulfilled all of these things perfectly for us because yeah. we can never measure up. And so there'll be a striving as Paul strives, and yet he still recognizes that he doesn't do the things that he should do. Um, and he does the things that he doesn't want to do. And he recognizes th this tension in him between the law and the work of grace. And so we'll 
we'll see that as well as we move forward. Um, but so as we end these, we really want to focus on um, not diminishing one for the sake of the other, which really just means we want to end on the gospel because it includes an acknowledgement of our sinfulness um, and the need for Christ. So, uh, brother, why don't you end us with what is the gospel um, and, and how can you sum that up in light of what we've been talking about? Yeah, the, the gospel, we are all sinners. Uh, we are all sinners that um, deserve the wrath of God. We have fallen far short of his righteous standard. And it's because of that that Jesus Christ came to the world. In fact, John three sixteen, um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ had to come in order to be the one who would be able to walk perfectly according to the law and then to be able to go to the cross and give his life over uh, for those who would put their faith into him. So when he died on the cross, it was not because of any sins that he committed. He did it as an active work on behalf of those who would have who would put their faith into him. And so for those who do not know the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the way to attain eternal life is to understand that they are a sinner before a holy God and that Jesus Christ, the son of God in human flesh, who was, he, he is both God and he is both man. He went to the cross in order to pay the penalty that all of us deserve to pay for all of eternity. And only if you recognize that he paid that price and that by putting your faith into him, um, will you find eternal life then that is the only way. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul would end up saying that the law was like a tutor to us that led us uh, toward Christ. And so if you understand um, how the law condemns you, then you will understand that only Jesus Christ can save you. Amen. Well, I hope that this has been helpful for you guys listening. Uh, next episode will be on the first commandment. So until then, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.